This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Romans. And what we're going to be studying today is Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, Paul begins by asking a number of questions that relate to what he taught in Romans 5, 20 to 21. So let's go read Romans 5, 20 and 21 to begin with. Those verses read, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And we understand that God's grace is always, it always outdistances man's sin in those that are obedient. In 1 John 5, 1 and 2, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus, Christ, or Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So in Romans chapter 6, we have an argument that is anticipated, and then that argument is answered. And that's Romans 6, 1 and 2. Romans 6, 1, we see that the question, the anticipated question is asked. Verse 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, there are two arguments that the Judaizing teachers might use. The first one is this. They might say, since you're saying that grace abounds more where sin abounds, then you're encouraging people to sin. A second argument that they might use is this. Since you are saying that grace abounds more where sin abounds, then we should sin more so God's grace can abound more. Well, grace does not give us a license to sin. There are those that teach that today, and there were those that taught that in Jude's day as well. Turn over to the book of Jude, and we're going to read verse 4. Jude verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it says they have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness comes from the Greek word asylgeia, and Thayer defines that word this way. Unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, 
shamelessness and insolence. So they have turned the grace of God into unbridled lust, sinning more and more. And again, there are still those today that teach such things. You know, Paul referred to false teachers there in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. If you'll turn there to Galatians 1, 6 through 10, Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Well, I want to read to you some quotes from false brethren. The first quote comes from Jim Hackney of the Midtown Church of Christ Bulletin in Fort Worth, Texas. And this is the statement, and I quote, I spent too many years of my Christian life not knowing what grace was. The only thing I knew for sure was that we didn't believe in it, unquote. The next quote of, false bro of a false brother comes from Rubel Shelley, and this is his quote. We do not contribute one whit to our salvation, unquote. The next quote of a false brother, a false brethren, comes from Glenn Owen at the Midtown Church of Christ, and this is his quote. Nobody has any right to preach anything other than the gospel of pure grace. We are saved by grace plus nothing. You are saved by faith, period. There is nothing you can do to be saved, unquote. Now, I find that interesting. We're saved by grace plus nothing, and then he says we're saved by faith, period. So that is a, a contradiction in itself. But the question that arises, are these men telling the truth that we are saved by God's grace alone and there's nothing we can do to have salvation? Well, let's teach us, or let's look at what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches we are saved by God and Christ. Titus 1, 3, and 4. Titus 1, 3, and 4. It says, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the communion, or excuse me, the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So both God and Christ save us. The Bible also teaches us that we are saved by the blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. It says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation or your vain lifestyle, received by tradition from your fathers, 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we are redeemed or saved by the blood of Christ. The Bible also teaches us that we are saved by faith in Christ. In Romans chapter 5, look at verses 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we are saved by our repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. So we are saved by repentance. We find also that the Bible teaches us that we are saved by baptism. 1 Peter 3.21 1 Peter 3.21 says the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us not the putting away the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ so we are saved by baptism James 2:24 tells us that we are saved by works James 2:24 you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So we are saved or justified by works. Also, the Bible teaches us that we are saved by hope. In Romans 8, 24 and 25. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So we're saved by hope. And if we are saved by grace alone, then why does the New Testament tell us otherwise in so many different places? You know, there in Acts 2 verse 40, in Acts 2 40, it says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So save yourselves. In Philippians 2.12, Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, whenever it says we do not contribute one whit to our salvation, Paul disagrees with that. And Paul was writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We are also saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast. So here we have works of merit. We try to earn our salvation. That doesn't work. That's what these works are talking about, where the works that James was talking about a while ago are the things we do in this life that are obedient to God. So grace 
is all that God does and has done for us. Faith includes all that human beings must do in order to be saved and to continue to be saved. So the question now, you know, the question, you know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, in Romans 6, 2, the question is answered and another question is asked. The answer, Romans 6, 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The Greek there for God forbid is me genoita, which, said, which, Brown, which is defined as may it not be, as the literal translation of the Bible states. That translation says, let it not be. We who died to sin, how shall we live in it? still live in it? How shall we still live in it? And then he asks the second question there in verse 2. If we're dead to sin, why would we live any longer therein? You know, it would be totally inconsistent for someone who has been separated from sin to live habitually, slavishly, and deliberately in sin. You see, if we die physically, we cease to live in this physical life. If we die to sin, we are to cease to live that old life of sin. Well, in Romans 6, 3 through 6, we see the vital place of baptism. So we have now a third question brought up in Romans 6, 3. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Well, Christ's blood was shed on the cross at his death. And if we are baptized into his death, that is where we contact his blood. And that is, again, in baptism. You know, someone that wants to continue in sin or they do not realize the purpose for baptism or maybe they have forgotten the, uh, forgotten the purpose of baptism. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, 2 Peter 1, 8 through 10, talking there about the Christian graces, says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. So someone who wants to continue in sin, they don't realize the purpose for baptism, they've forgotten the purpose of baptism, they're blind. They are blind. Baptism here in Romans 6, 4, and 5 is directly related to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 4, and 5. 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, there is no other way that we contact Jesus' blood. That is only through baptism. That is the only place the scriptures tell us that we contact his blood. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, again, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, shows us just as Romans 6, 3 and 4, that the only way to get into Christ is through baptism. Those verses read, For ye are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, for as many as you have been, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we are not a child of God until we have been baptized for the remission of our sins, Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16. Baptism is a burial, you'll notice there as well in Romans 6, 3 and 4. It's not a sprinkling of water. It's not pouring water over somebody. In Colossians 2, 12 and 13, we see that baptism is a burial. It says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. The word quickened there means made alive, having forgiven you all trespasses. All trespasses are not forgiven until we are buried with him in baptism, and it is the operation of God that does that. Only immersion in water can be compared to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is baptism that cleanses us from sin. Jesus plainly stated in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You hear the argument, but Jesus didn't say that he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. Well, that is a senseless argument because Jesus had already stated he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Did Jesus lie when he made that statement? Well, of course not. In Acts 2.38, it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The word for there from the Greek word that means for, unto, toward. The little Greek word ace, E-I-S. In Acts 2.38 of the literal translation reads this way. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, each of you, on the name of Jesus Christ, to remission of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Acts 22.16 that we looked at a while ago as well. The King James Version says, And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? <clears throat> and again, the literal translation says, And now what do you intend? Rising up, be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And then Ephesians 5.26. Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it, it being the church, with the washing of water by the word. The washing of water can only be baptism, and by the word means it was commanded by God. In Ephesians 5.2, whenever we are baptized for the remission of sins, we get into Christ. When we are raised up from that grave of baptism, we are to walk in newness of life. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, describes a little about that walk. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So we are to walk in love and offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God. You know, there in Book of Romans, it talks about us being a sacrifice. Whenever you mention Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And again, talking about our walking in newness of life, look at Colossians 2, 6. Colossians 2, 6. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. In Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Colossians 4, 5 and 6. It says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt that you know, may know how you ought to answer every man. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we find the example that Christ set for us that we are to walk in. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. And then 1 John 1, 6 and 7, our walk is described again. 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. In Second John 4, we find, again, something about our walk. 
second uh, John verse four. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. So the commandments of the Father, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So walk in truth. In Romans chapter six, verse six, we see that our old man of sin is destroyed in baptism. Romans six, six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So we are crucified with Christ in baptism, and our body of sin is destroyed in baptism. And then we should not serve sin after that. That body of sin that is destroyed in baptism is our old man that is crucified. You know, look at Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, when are we crucified with Christ? In baptism. A person must understand that he is being baptized for the remission of sins in order for his baptism to be acceptable unto God. Now, I have a quotation here from a false teacher by the name of Jimmy Allen. And this is what he stated, and I quote, let us now suppose that a Baptist presents himself for membership with us. We find that he was a believer and a penitent before he was immersed. He believed that his sins were pardoned before he was immersed and said so. It is most unreasonable to suppose that his sins are still unforgiven. The supposed Baptist brother is a pardoned man, though he is mistaken as to the time of his pardon." Unquote. That goes totally against what we have read in the Bible. Well, Baptist Principles is a little book that I have in my library. It is written by a father to his son on questions that he might have. And this is what he states on page 187 of the little book Baptist Principles, and I quote, we set less store by baptism than any other denomination. We believe in baptism. We insist upon it as a sacred duty, but we do not believe it has anything to do with the salvation of the soul. If the person was not saved before baptism, he will not be saved on account of it. Baptism is for saved people, not to save them, unquote. And yet you remember what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Goes totally against what this man taught here. Well, those who have not been baptized for the remission of sins have not been baptized according to the authority of Christ. They must be baptized again for the right reason. We have an example of that in Acts 19, verses 1 through 5. Acts 19, 1 through 5. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, 
Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Well, the American Standard Version there says that the Holy Ghost was given. Now verse 3. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The baptism that they were baptized to, that is, John's baptism, was out of date. It was no longer valid. And any other baptism that is not according to the authority of Christ is not valid. You know, water is central in the gospel. Peter did not say this in Acts 10.47. He did not say, who can forbid that these can accept Jesus as their personal Savior? You see, he did not say that. What he said was, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? You know, Naaman in the Old Testament initially had the same attitude that most people have today about baptism. In 2 Kings 5, 10, and 11, 2 Kings 5, 10, and 11, it says, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. What was Naaman's problem? Behold, I thought. That was the problem. They do the same thing the lawyers and the Pharisees did with John's baptism. In Luke 7.30, Luke 7.30, it says, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Those who teach that baptism has nothing to do with salvation reject the counsel of God against themselves. Now, in Romans 6, 7 through 11, we find there freedom from sin and service to Christ. In Romans 6, 7, when we die to sin, we are free from sin. Romans 6, 7 says, For he that is dead, that being dead to sin, is freed from sin. The word translated freed there is dikaio. Strong says that Greek word means to render, that is show or regard as just or innocent. You see, our new life has now begun when we've been baptized for the remission of sins. And we are justified only after being raised from our watery grave of baptism. You see, again, we die with Christ in baptism. That's Romans 6, 8, and 9. Romans 6, 8, and 9. 
For if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. You know, Jesus died physically. We know that. You know, John 19.30. John 19.30 says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So we know Jesus died physically. But he also was raised from the dead, and death has no more dominion over him. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 Revelation 1.18, John is here speaking about the one he saw, and we know that the one he saw there is Jesus and his resurrected and ascended state. The one speaking here is Christ, and it says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death, the word hell there being the Greek word Hades. So he was dead, he is now alive forevermore. Death has no dominion over him. Well, when we die to the love and dominion of sin, we do that in baptism. Again, Romans 6, 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We have died to the dominion of sin. When a person becomes a Christian, a sinner dies. John 3, 5. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The only logical thing that water could be here is baptism, immersion in water. Just as Jesus died unto sin once, he died so that we could have forgiveness of sins, we are to die unto sin in the same manner. Look at Romans 6, 10 and 11. Romans 6, 10 and 11. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Christ's sacrifice was a one-time act, Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So he offered a sacrifice for our sins, and he is now ascended to the throne of God. Well, when we are dead to sin, we are alive to God. In Titus 2.14, Titus 2.14, speaking of Jesus says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So if you are dead to sin, act that way. If you are alive to God, act that way. Don't go back to that old life of sin. We are not to continue to live in sin when we become a Christian. 
Baptism is where our sins are forgiven, and when we're baptized, we're free from sin and free to serve God. So act like a child of God every day in every way. Now, when we come to Romans 6, 12 through 18, our mind and our spirit determine how we use our bodies. In Romans 6.12, Paul says, Do not allow sin to be your master. Romans 6.12 Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. You see, even the psalmist had knew about that in Psalm 19.13. Psalm 19.13 he said, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The word presumptuous here, the Hebrew word according to uh, Brown Driver Briggs means arrogant, proud, insolent, or presumptuous knowing you're sinning and doing it anyway. In Psalm 119, 133 also mentions not having sin or iniquity, having dominion over a person. Psalm 119, 133 says, Order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. And then in 2 Peter 2, 20-22, we find Christians who have allowed sin to be their master again. 2 Peter 2, 20-22. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. That means sin is their master again. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You see, sin is pictured as a king ruling over our bodies, which is accomplished through the appetites of our flesh. We allow sin to be our king because of the appetites of our flesh. James 1, 14 and 15 gives an illustration of that. James 1, 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So we allow sin to be our king when we fall for the lust of our flesh. So we have in that right there, we see iniquity, the motive for doing it, sin, the desire for doing it, transgression, the result, and death. 
So we are to revolt against sin and let Christ be our king. In Romans 6.13, it says there, Romans 6.13, our body parts are either used as tools by sin for unrighteousness or as tools by God for righteousness. Romans 6.13 says, neither yield you neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see, our heart is where either sin or obedience comes from. Jesus saw or mentioned that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Matthew 12, 35. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So our heart is where our sin or our obedience comes from. And you see, we need to understand that this body, this physical body, is the shell where my spirit lives. And my spirit controls what my body does. My spirit controls what my hands does, what my tongue says, what my thoughts are, where my feet go, etc., etc. And then we find in Romans 6.14 that the gospel is a system of grace and law. Romans 6.14 For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. The law there referring to the law of Moses. Because grace and law are not mutually exclusive. We have both. In Romans 3.27, Romans 3.27 says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. So we are under grace and and law. Romans 8.2 Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In Titus chapter 2, look at verses 11 and 12. Titus 2.11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us, God's grace teaches us this, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You see, just because God offers his grace does not mean that he has removed rule, regulation, and restraint. Those all go together. In James 1.25, we find again another scripture that tells us we are under law. James 1.25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And then look at James 2.8 and then verse 12. We see law again. James 2.8. If ye fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. And then verse 12, 
So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So we are under law and we will be judged by that law. Well, God's grace should not cause us to think we can live in sin. That's Romans 6.15. The King James Version of Romans 16 says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Now I want you to notice that the word the there before law here is not in the original manuscripts. The literal translation puts it this way. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Let it not be. You see, there are two masters that are seeking our allegiance, sin and obedience or Satan and God. Romans 6.16. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So every one of us has either yielded to Satan or we've yielded to God. Our allegiance cannot be given to both. Matthew 6.24, Jesus stated this, again, Matthew 6.24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We can't serve God in sin. We can't serve Satan and God. It's one or the other. You know, the master called sin leads us to eternal punishment. Romans, excuse me, Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Those verses state, again, Revelation 20, 11 to 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead and great, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, or Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So sin leads us to eternal punishment, where obedience leads to our names being in the book of life, and then eternal or everlasting life. Again, the master called obedience leads us to everlasting life. Revelation 2.11. That verse states, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh, that being overcome of sin, shall not be hurt of the second death. That we just read about there in Revelation 20. So every one of us is a slave. But who is our master? God or Satan. You see, we can escape the clutches of sin through our obedience. In Romans 6, 17 and 18, Romans 6, 17 and 18, says, But God bethink that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. 
So it says there, you were servants of sin, but since you have obeyed the doctrine that was delivered, you're free from sin. You're a servant of righteousness. And all who have reached an accountable age are either servants or were servants of sin, Romans 7, 9. Paul states there, Romans 7, 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, he reached that age of accountability. Again, Romans 6, 3, and 4, Our obedience to the gospel delivers us from sin's bondage by doing what is prescribed by the gospel. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we that are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, we Barnes makes this comment. You become voluntarily under the dominion of righteousness. You yielded yourselves to it and are therefore bound to be holy. And then he uses John 8.32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, thank God we can change our master. 1 Corinthians 6.9-11. 1 Corinthians 6.9-11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that would be homosexuality, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed in baptism, contacting the blood of Christ, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I want to stop right there with Romans chapter 6, verse 18, and Lord willing, we'll get into Romans six nineteen and continue the lesson from that point forward. But again, this is Don Boyd, and I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.